a trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Hey, I'm glad you could join us today. I I want to give a brief explanation why programs like this exist. And it's an explanation that starts with a listener like you. As you look at the world around you, I'm guessing that uh, you probably see some things going on that uh, you know, you recognize instinctively. That's not right. Maybe there are some things you say that, man, that's not only not right, that's like deadly wrong and uh, somebody needs to say something. Or uh, I personally need to stand up and and make my influence felt because, you know, there's there's such a thing as, as uh, protecting what's good and true and right. Now, you probably also feel like uh, maybe it's hopeless in the sense that there's so much that seems to be spinning out of control at any given moment that, uh, you know, little old me, what am I going to do? How can I actually make a difference? Well, you're not alone, first of all. I think most of us are feeling that to some degree. And the truth of the matter is, there are a lot of overlapping crises going on right now, which uh, make life interesting, to put it mildly. But I want to assure you that, uh, well, a couple of things I want to assure you of. Number one, you are not born just to be carried like a leaf on the current, you know, that, uh, you know, goes wherever it takes it. There's purpose in your life. In fact, uh, I'm going to be so bold as to say you were born to make a difference. And the goal of what I share on this program each day that I do it is to help people better understand <clears throat> the world around them, to to see through the deception, the the propaganda, the the blizzard of disinformation that's blasting around us 24/7. But also to make sure people understand that they are not helpless. And that there's a sphere of influence that, that you are, you're very influential. You're powerful within that sphere. And it doesn't matter if it's within the walls of your own home or if it extends to your workplace or your friendships or your community. Maybe you have a very large sphere of influence. But it's essential that you do what you alone can do. Let me rephrase that. It's essential that you do what, with God's help, you alone can accomplish. I hope that makes sense. At any rate, I'm really grateful to have you as part of my audience. Want to mention that our show is brought to you by MonticelloCollege.org, LifesavingFood.com, and the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George, Utah. So I wanted to start out with, and, and this this may sound like bad news, but that attitude of well, why bother, right? The pressure of the last 20 months has really taken a toll on a lot of us. And it's tempting to look around you and to see all the chaos and the conflict. I just watched a video earlier today. Maybe this was a mistake. Um, and I don't know what happened before the video starts, so, so there may be some context lacking. But the bottom line is there's a, there's a church service. It's a Catholic church service going on. I don't know where. I don't know the community. And for whatever reason, there's a camera. And I, I don't know if it's, this is the church's camera or what. But a guy comes walking up within view of the camera and sits down on the front pew. And immediately, 
the priest stops what he's doing, points at the guy and says, you are trespassing and you need to get out of here. Now, the reason the guy was told he was trespassing, as I understand it, was because he was not wearing a mask. Everybody else in the church was. And within the matter of just a few seconds, the guy stands up and actually steps up onto, you know, the dice there, and and, and he's uh, talking to the priest. And, um, well, bottom, bottom line is about 14 or 15 parishioners come and they tackle the guy and drag him physically out of the church. Now, I don't know. Maybe he was a troublemaker. It's, I, I guess it's possible. Like I say, I'm a little bit suspicious because there's just a little context that's lacking from, from the, uh, the video. But I, I think of all the places where I would expect to see that mask anger or that, you know, that anger against the unmasked, you know, carried into physical violence. Church, I would have thought, would be one of the last ones. And yet here we are. It was just a little bit chilling to, to see. And again, I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to keep a little healthy sense of skepticism going here because there are some aspects of the video that don't make it clear. You know, was the guy disruptive? Was he doing something before? That I can't tell you. But it was pretty crazy to watch 14 or 15 guys. Oh, and a woman, because this is a pretty woke congregation, I guess. Come converge on the dude and take him down and drag him out. Holy cow. We've, we've come a long way, and I'm not sure it's uh, in a good direction. So seeing scenes like that, I can understand why people would say, why bother? <laughs> if, that's, if that's what I can expect, why should I stand up and uh, put my neck on the line if, if people are not only going to you know, disregard the message, but may physically attack me for what I'm doing? Robert E. Wright, in an article for American Institute for Economic Research, titled Why Bother, has some really interesting insights here. He says, our nation faces some strange issues right now, including huge numbers of unfilled jobs, empty shelves, higher non-COVID-related deaths, and he asks, what gives? Well, the easy answer comes in the form of a rhetorical question that many Americans have been posing to themselves over the last 18 months. Why bother? Why bother getting a university education? It'll cost you plenty. You might not get higher pay because of it. Why bother seeking health care? It'll cost you plenty, and your health may not improve, and it may even get worse. Why bother getting a job? Somebody will take care of you, voluntarily or not. Unemployment insurance, disability, no consequence shoplifting, free camping, it's all good. Why bother working harder or smarter at work? Bureaucrats can take you out for not staying current on your shots, even ones that your doctor and common sense tell you to avoid. Or some woke hipster, can, or dipster rather, can get you canceled for opining about just about anything, including your preferred underwear color. Apparently, tidy whities are racist now, right? Why bother starting a new business? The government can shut it down because of a not-so-unusual novel virus or hinky data supporting the notion of <clears throat> irreversible human-induced global climate change or, frankly, for whatever it wants. Why bother continuing to run an existing small business? If you turn a profit, government will take a big chunk of it, but more likely it will be slowly strangled into bankruptcy by regulations for this and that, most of it unscientific nonsense. Why bother voting? Even if nobody can prove in court that a specific election was rigged, 
the whole electoral system was manipulated extra-legally by Facebook. In future elections, whoever's sleazy enough to engage in vote harvesting is going to win. Why bother calling out hypocrisy? Elite's going to do what elite's going to do without repercussions, as if, if they were feeling the spirit, as oh, so many have. Why stay apprised of current events? Dismissinfoganda <clears throat> reigns triumphant across social and traditional media. Why bother staying sober? Pot and fentanyl seem to be everywhere and pretty cheap, too, at least compared to truly escaping the nation's many problems. Why bother reproducing? Seems cruel to bring a babbling baby into this messed up society. How about this one? Why bother living? Suicides, especially by teen females, might comfort those who want depopulation and degrowth. But consider that many people will next ask, why not go out by, uh, you know, ensuring the most horrific act of violence you can think of right here? Now, Robert E. Wright says, look, note that many Americans cannot be bothered with an education, a job, innovation, voting, or being a good citizen or parent, not because of their own shortcomings, but solely because of government policies. How long before let's go, Brandon, turns into something much more sinister and real? Most Americans ask, may ask, why bother to try to change some things, but some And it will only take a few to upend our society may answer because I love what my country once was and I hate what it has become. My life may be worthless, but perhaps with some act of unspeakable violence, I can start a chain of events that will save my loved ones. Interesting. Kind of a scary thought, too. He says, maybe the current administration realizes that by pushing tens of millions of Americans backs against the wall, they invite disaster. And they've concocted a white supremacy movement out of a molehill in preparation. But he says, rest assured, if America does end up with a wave of domestic terrorism, those terrorists will have been created by the cultural and economic pain the Trump and Biden administrations unleashed, starting with senseless lockdown policies in March of 2020. He says, apparently when it comes to... Uh, Maintaining peaceful relations with all, as we saw with America's withdrawal from from Afghanistan. As Adam Smith, Alexander Hamilton, and scads of other political economists have advised, Uncle Sam has just one thing to say. Why bother? We'll be back. We're going to talk about why it matters to stand up, though. Right after these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back. Just a quick shout-out here for LifesavingFoods.com. LifesavingFood.com is a food storage company. And if you click on the link that I provide in the uh, sponsor links in my daily show notes, you can visit their own website and see for yourself ways that you can uh, you can augment your existing food storage program or if you've been slow to start that's okay better late than never to get your own food storage program underway now Kendall the owner of life saving food asked me to pass on to you that uh, right now they are not immune from some of the supply chain disruptions that are going on now th- there's still food available there's still stocks available he'll still give you the 20% discount 
that my listeners get by using the coupon code HIDE at checkout, but it could take up to a month to fulfill those orders. Sorry, but that's the reality of what we're facing right now. It's also a really good reminder that, you know, the the time to act, of course, was, you know, five years ago or two years ago or last month. But if there's a second best time to act, it's right now and not to put things off for that indefinite time when everything's going to be back to normal. I'm not sure we're going to have that luxury. Please check out the show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. Give some love to my sponsors, and I thank you in advance for doing so. You know, one of the hardest things we have to do as lovers of freedom is to learn how to let other people make peaceful choices with which we disagree. It's because we each have a little tyrant that lives inside of us. Come on, don't try to pretend it's not there. Someone does something that irritates you, and if you've ever uttered the words, well, man, there ought to be a law. That's your inner tyrant coming out. And i got to distinguish, you know, when, when someone is doing something that is peaceful, that's not threatening other people or their property, but it's just something that you disagree with, it's really hard sometimes to, to step back and say, that's not the choice I would have made or that's not the way I would have used my ability to do something. But, you know, if their behavior is peaceful, you should be okay with letting them make that own choice, even if it's not in their best interest. The, the person who wants to go drink a beer or who wants to smoke a joint or whatever, they should be able to make that choice. But that's hard. And that one of the things that we have to, to take into account is that every choice that people make, including us, <clears throat> has a consequence attached to it. Came across a great article from Kent McManigal who I highly recommend as someone who just has clarity and the ability to say it succinctly. This was from everything-voluntary.com. And it's an article titled, Actions Have Natural Consequences. Listen to what Kent McManigal says. He says, I can disagree with what someone does and even believe they should face consequences for their actions without believing government should hand out those consequences. Government isn't the proper place to look for solutions. He says natural and social consequences are unavoidable. Consequences from government, they're arbitrary. Now, Kent says, I don't believe government authority has any legitimacy. It looks to me like any other superstitious belief lots of people share. It's just astrology with a lot of guns and bombs and offices. And he says consequences shouldn't necessarily be legal consequences anyway. Social consequences don't require government, and often government steps in to save bad guys from any real social consequences their behavior earned them. This rewards antisocial behavior. It actually encourages more of it. Murder is wrong regardless of the opinions of politicians. The murders they approve of or call something other than murder are exactly as wrong as those they weep and wail and hold press events over. Government or legislation is not the proper way to deal with murder. Whoa, I saw some eyebrows go up across the room on that one. He says, I believe the corporate social media empires should face consequences for censoring censoring speech on their sites. But he says, I don't believe government is the proper institution to hand out those consequences. Getting government involved would likely make the situation worse. Censorship would only increase especially since so much of the censoring is aimed at silencing those who question the sketchy government story. 
Kent McManigal writes, if someone has violated the life, liberty, or property of another, they owe restitution as a result. This is justice. He says anything else isn't. Government courts don't deal in justice, even when it's in their name. They deal in punishment, which is revenge. And this is only going to make things worse in the long run, as should be obvious by now. But without government, how would you collect the restitution you're owed as a victim of a crime? Well, he says you better find a way that doesn't involve government unless you want to be on the wrong side. Using government to collect your restitution from the violator means you now owe restitution to those who were taxed, in other words, robbed, to fund the government you used. It's a destructive cycle that solves nothing. And he says there are better, consensual ways to do everything you have a right to do. Find them. All actions, good and bad, have consequences. And whether anyone believes they should happen or not, they all will happen, or they will happen, rather, with or without government stepping in. His advice is, let them happen naturally. I know for some people that's a really hard thing to to imagine. I mean, because we immediately think of crimes. Well, somebody's murdering, we should just let the consequences happen. I mean, if we're depending on government to, to make things right, I guess what we're assuming is that there can be no justice without the state. That's a topic I'll have to tackle at a different time, but you might be surprised to find out that historically there were ways that justice was handled without the state. And I'm not talking about a lynch mob. That's one way that it can be done, but not necessarily the best. That's just simply mob violence. But you have options even today, even with with the, the mega legalistic, you know, bent to our society. Say two people uh, engage in some kind of a contract. We bought some land together. We're going to develop this land. They come into a disagreement, and somebody needs to settle it. Well, instead of going to the state, they can go to a mediator. And there are mediation firms and individuals who specialize in this to where they can find that, uh, that middle ground, however elusive, how, however microscopic it may seem, to help resolve the problem without getting the state involved. I, I remember uh, taking a, a class in logic one time. This was from a recent law school graduate. And one of the things that he pointed out was uh, he pointed out the most violent place in America is a courthouse. And that kind of struck me because most, most courthouses, they're very uh, imposing and very you know stately, almost temple-like uh, structures. Strict reverence is enforced when you are inside, you know, this holy temple of the state. And anyway, you get the picture. But I see his point, which was the decisions that are made within the walls of those courtrooms and those courthouses tear families apart, destroy businesses, take money from people, take freedom from people. It's it's where the, the laws are decided and ultimately, you know, where they are enforced. Maybe this was on my mind. I I had a memory pop up on Facebook this morning. Um, Four years ago today, I was on my way down to Las Vegas for the trial of Cliven Bundy, Ammon Bundy, uh, Ryan Payne, and uh, Ryan Bundy. And I remember looking at that big federal courthouse down there in Vegas and thinking, man, that is one imposing structure. And I don't disagree. It's, It's one of the most violent places on earth. 
not because people are, you know, engaging in sword fighting out there in the hallway, but because the decisions that are made there can and often will destroy lives. Sometimes in the name of justice, often just in the name of making sure that someone is compliant. I think Kent McManigal has some thoughts, though, worth considering there. On the, on the strictly individual level, if you see somebody making a choice that you don't agree with, <clears throat> then you think, man, uh, there ought to be some way <clears throat> to address this, you might consider letting the consequences play out naturally instead of trying to impose them, or worse yet, inviting the state to step in and impose them. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. You know, if you've been paying attention to the things around you that make your life better, first of all, I want to tip my hat to you. Because right now there's a lot of folks focused just strictly on the negative. And and I hope you don't think I'm weird, but I, I have to make a little bit of time for myself every single day to just kind of sit and be still and and actually search out in my mind and in my heart what are the things for which I'm grateful. And I really recommend this as an exercise. If nothing else, it's 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 not an escape and it's not, oh, it's delusion. If I just chant to myself, I am brave, I am strong. Doggone it, people like me. No, it's it's about cutting the the clutter and the, the all the noise that's going on around you long enough to recognize that for all the challenges we're facing right now, there is still a great deal of beauty and goodness around us. But it's hard to focus on. And and I fear sometimes, you know, when I'm pointing out, hey, this is wrong to it. Look what else they're doing. I'm contributing, you know, to that to that fog of holy cow, everything's going going crazy on us. But if I can find even five minutes to just kind of sit, and again, this is the key, be still. So that means I put my electronic devices away. I'm I usually I go outside if the weather is permitting. And in my case, I like to just go sit on my, my back porch. I'm very, very fortunate to, to live in a rural area where I have a, a terrific view. And I, I just uh, look out over the farm fields, listen to the wind blow a little bit, the birds, you know. Um, and, and it just reminds me that there are so many good things. Sometimes I'll be doing this while I'm, while I'm driving. I just notice, you know, somebody has built an incredible home or somebody's built an incredible business or something or painted a mural or otherwise created some kind of beauty. Sometimes I just appreciate uh, the fact that my wiper blades are working and, and that uh, somebody took the time to assemble the car that I'm riding in and that I'm not walking everywhere or riding a horse or whatever it may be. Not that riding a horse is bad. I just... Horses and I have kind of a complicated history. One of the things that I've noticed, though, is I have a very great debt that I owe to the productive people around me. And I'm talking about the people who do things on a daily basis, some seen, many unseen, that nonetheless make my life better. And I like Paul Rosenberg's take on the value of producers and why there's kind of a peculiar kinship between them. 
thought you might enjoy this. He says, there's a kinship between productive human beings. And he says, it's one that spreads all across this planet. It may be invisible to power and hierarchy, but he says, we productive people recognize it. When we drive into a town, we know almost by instinct that we can trust the hardworking carpenter further than someone who's permanently on the dole. Now, it's possible the guy on the dole is a saint, but the hardworking man shares our specific ethics, and we're tuned to them. And even if this carpenter is a negative exception, we'll be able to tell. Think about that. Now, Paul says, I've felt this kinship on multiple continents and among people of many flavors, not just on construction sites, but in truck stops and offices, grocery stores and trains. He says, productive people bear a specific ethic, and it's consistent, not only over distance, but over time. If you were somehow dropped into ancient Rome, the people you'd want to join wouldn't be the senators or the people in the bread lines, but the people who build and maintain the aqueducts. Even the old man recounting his days of building, repairing, and creating, he's not just saying, I was once strong, he's saying, I am a producer. And even if, even if I'm too old to work, I remain what I was. So the ethics he's referring to here are those which are spawned by work, meaning productive, dedicated, creative work. And yes, even sweeping a floor becomes creative if you take it seriously. And do it well. A shop floor is complex and complexity must be overcome with on-the-fly creativity. And work requires things of us like continuous cooperation, holding in mind what others are doing, and working toward a shared final goal. Work requires us to make a long chain of decisions by ourselves and without stopping our workflow. In other words, on the fly. So in this way, it's not exactly like team sports. From the practice of production, from the practice of doing such things day by day, over time, spring the virtues of persistence, dedication, reliability, and endurance. We learn to do things that are hard because they need to be done, and because there's no one but us to make sure they get done. We learn responsibility because if we fail to do the hard things, dozens or hundreds or thousands of people will be in trouble. We also learn about self, we earn about earned self-pride. Yes, there can be a negative version of pride, but he says, that's not what I'm talking about. When we work long, hard, and effectively, doing things that need to be done, we learn that we are beneficial and necessary beings in the world, legitimately. And that's a big thing. So in brief, he lists, these are the values of producers. And I share these with you that you might recognize these qualities in yourself. Sometimes we don't recognize what's there until someone points out, well, have you thought of it this way? And then, oh, I'll be darned. I do agree with that, or that is a part of how I live my life. So the values of producers, he says, we believe that everyone should be treated fairly, including a a certain level of respect and politeness. We believe in voluntary interactions. The coercion is wrong. We believe that people should keep their agreements. We believe in cooperation and good faith. We believe that everyone should be able to do what they want so long as they don't intrude on others. We believe that honest failure is a temporary condition. We know that what we do matters. We accept that life can be hard, and we work through it as best we can. 
We respect people who are true to themselves. We help people who suffer unjustly. We believe that an adult should make their own decisions. We believe that good decisions must include concern for the long term. I don't know, that's pretty radical, man. That's quite a list. But he says, establishing this as a good list is easy. And he says, the proof is this. These are things we complain about when others fail to uphold them. And we wouldn't complain if we didn't hold these as values. So, Paul Rosenberg says, what I'd like all productive people to realize is this. We have as much right to express our will in the world as anyone else does. In fact, we have every right to live our way. And so we shouldn't sacrifice our ethics to any hierarchy. If that system can't survive within our ethics, something that corner stores and nurses and contractors accomplish every day, well, then its time has passed and it should be left behind. He says, I'll conclude with a passage from Buckminster Fuller. If you take all the machinery in the world and dump it in the ocean, within six months, within months rather, more than half of all humanity will die and with another six months, they'd almost all be gone. You get that? If you took all the machinery in the world and dumped it in the ocean, within months, more than half of all humanity will die, and within another six months, they'd almost all be gone. But if you took all the politicians in the world, put them in a rocket, and sent them to the moon, everyone would get along fine. So Paul Rosenberg says our ethics are good, and we're the people who make the world work. We need to treat that as a fact because it is. Kind of got an applied lesson in this last year. And that was, uh, I took a part-time job working at a convenience store. And uh, it, was, it was not something I wanted to do, but it was something that I needed to do short-term as I was getting my feet underneath me. And I got to tell you, there, there were times when I was, you know, emptying trash cans and cleaning up spills and scrubbing out urinals and whatnot that uh, I, I really had to stop and wonder, isn't there something else I could be doing? Haven't I spent a lifetime developing skills <laughs> that, that are better suited to things other than what I'm doing at this moment? But the truth is, it was a great experience from the standpoint of it, it made me appreciate honest work in whatever form. And so I'm, I'm with Paul Rosenberg on this. It's also made me a lot more, um, it's, it's made me a lot more accommodating and patient with those who stand behind a cash register at, at just about any, you know, in any setting. I try to treat them with a little more respect and with a little more consideration because I've been on that side of the register and I, I know what they're, they're going through. So, something to consider. If you are a worker, if you are a producer, if you're someone whose work or whose efforts seeks to improve the lives of the people around you, you do not need to hang your head in shame. You needn't compare yourself to other people and worry that your status doesn't quite measure up to theirs. You're doing a great job. And you need to know that people appreciate you. So let me say it. I appreciate you. This is The Brian Hyde Show. 
This is The Brian Hyde Show. And we are back. You know, if you're one of the thousands of people relocating to the Intermountain West, I don't have to tell you that the real estate market is crazy. Not only have real estate values shot through the roof, but the competition, holy cow, there is very little inventory available. A home gets on the market, boom, it is snapped up right away. Why do I tell you this? Well, I tell you this because if you are moving to the great state of Utah, I'd like you to consider contacting the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George, Utah. They can help you quickly get the loan you need at the best rates possible. Why is it so essential that you get it quickly? Because because those homes aren't going to stay on the market. You find your dream home, you've got to have your uh, financing squared away right now. You can contact the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage by calling 435-703-4522. If you're in St. George, stop by their office at 619 South Bluff Street. And Heather's NMLS ID is 715386. Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender. By the way, there's an email link that you can directly contact Heather through in the show notes at thebrianhideshow.com. You know, one of the worst places to find yourself is on the horns of a dilemma, and usually it's a false dilemma. I like it. Uh, well, here's a, here's a good false dilemma. You can either vote for Mitt Romney or you can vote for Barack Obama. I know some people would say, well, okay, it's... Uh, uh, it's it's a choice between being shot in the stomach or being shot in the head. But I got to choose one because, you know, I got to have, I got to choose. I can't just not make a choice. That's a false dilemma. And and here's a good example of a, of a false dilemma that we're faced with constantly. Well, do you want to be free or do you want to be safe? Ooh, now we're, now we're talking. Anthony Matoria, in a piece written for AmericanThinker.com, reminds us that freedom has priority over safety. In fact, he points out there's a natural tension in human affairs between freedom and safety, and that tension has been highlighted by the COVID pandemic and was brought into sharp focus by President Biden's fallacious and dismissive remark about freedom during his recent odd appearance on a CNN town hall. His uncomfortable attempt at sarcasm. I have the freedom to kill you with my COVID. No, I mean, come on, freedom. Was addled by any number of factors. The president appears to believe that freedom and safety are exclusive matters of preference. Like iPhone versus Android. The president's rather shallow attention to the issue is consistent with Arnold Schwarzenegger's more pointed opinion. Screw your freedom. Now, both Mr. Biden and Mr. Schwarzenegger seem of the opinion that safety is preferable to freedom, and one can be had merely by relinquishing a sufficient quantity of the other. But both propositions are false. The relative importance of safety and liberty is not a novel question. It's a basis of uh, Ben Franklin's aphorism that those who would give up liberty for a little safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. And the more subtle metaphorical adage of J.A. Shedd, a ship in harbor is safe, but that is not what ships are built for. So common experience doesn't support the notion that safety is preferable to liberty. People are noted to take great risks, including risking their lives to flee oppressive regimes. There are constitutional protections for liberty interests, such as privacy and due process, even though those protections may be accompanied by risks to public safety. 
history is full of examples of people who risked and gave their lives both in pursuit of and in defense of freedom. And these observations are consistent with the idea that people do not inherently favor safety over freedom, but they don't dispel the dubious idea that one can have safety in exchange for freedom. They also don't address the externality aspect of freedom. In other words, that one person's exercise of his own freedom poses a risk to others without their consent or knowledge. Now, that latter concern warrants some deeper examination. An obvious point is the symmetrical nature of the imposition. One's demand for safety imposes an involuntary burden on another's freedom, just as freedom imposes on safety. One is left where he began, with both freedom and safety being viewed as mere matters of social preference. And this dispute seems to be unresolvable as long as this view is accepted. History, however, does not support this view. The fundamental idea that safety can be purchased by giving up a measure of freedom is refuted by a simple observation. Societies in which freedom is restricted by the state, as per Mr. Franklin, end up with neither liberty nor safety. A synopsis of 20th century authoritarianism is sufficient to establish this fact with loss of freedom accompanied by body counts in the tens of millions. The use of force required to enforce restrictions on freedom unavoidably unavoidably involves threats to safety. So the idea that safety can be had in exchange for freedom is an illusion. It's not just freedom that's being surrendered, but also other forms of safety. And when people such as Mr. Biden and Mr. Schwarzenegger disparage freedom, they imply that freedom is an individual indulgence that's tolerated despite its burdens on others. That's a great description, by the way. Freedom is instead a part of human nature and an undeniable historical good. It benefits the societies that nurture it. Freedom produces progress, knowledge, innovation, and affluence. And these, in turn, provide the desirable type of safety that's compatible with human flourishing. Now, the above observations are empirical. They're things that the average person can observe or contemplate and draw his own conclusions. They do not, however, provide a mechanism to explain why sacrificing freedom in pursuit of safety is counterproductive, nor why freedom generally takes priority over safety when the two conflict. A common phrase used in policy debates is vulnerable populations. A vulnerable population is, by definition, not safe. Populations become vulnerable when they become dependent, since they are vulnerable to the behavior and capacity of whatever they're dependent on. A population, for example, that's dependent on the charity of others is vulnerable to the circumstances of its benefactors. A population that has relinquished its freedom is dependent on the whims and interests of its rulers. The population is dependent and therefore vulnerable and unsafe. This is the mechanism that linked the imposition of authoritarian rule in the former Soviet Union with the the disaster of the Holodomor. Starving the Ukrainian kulaks. There is no shortage of similar examples, even if one were limited to the middle 50 years of the last century. So, Anthony Matoria points out that, uh, look, the loss of freedom eventually results in the loss not only of safety, but also general well-being. 
He says, dependency, a condition which is unavoidably associated with vulnerability, produces other pathologies like depression, substance abuse, suicide, violence, etc. We haven't seen much of that this last couple of years, have we? Just asking. He says, the human psyche does not accommodate dependence well, nor nor does it the common accompaniment of helplessness. Now, this is not to argue that freedom overrides safety in all cases and under all circumstances, but the point is safety cannot be invoked as an all-purpose rationale for infringing on freedom. There are obviously some significant safety concerns that involve reasonable infringements on the freedom of individuals, ranging from how fast one can drive a car on a public street to who can perform surgery. And he says the rational presumption should be that freedom takes priority over safety unless a compelling case can be shown to the contrary. And even then, the restriction on freedom should be the minimum necessary. The valid restrictions on freedom imposed in the interest of safety or the rights of others require individual consideration and appropriate boundaries. This is where phrases like due process come into mind. Now, in the context of Mr. Biden's remarks in particular, the supposed benefits of vaccine mandates, with their less than hoped for performance, the meandering advice of public health bureaucrats, the risk posed by the virus, they come nowhere near justifying infringing upon people's ability to work or decide for themselves what medical interventions to accept. I think I would agree with him. Seriously, if people were dying like flies from COVID, it might be easier to convince some people, hey, we really should, you know, keep anybody who's unvaccinated out of the workplace. But what have we learned? We've learned that not only can the vaccinated still get sick, they can actually spread COVID. How long is it going to be before we see, you know, those who are on their uh, fourth or fifth jab blaming the people who've only had their third shot This is your fault. This is why we got to stay on our toes. And I appreciate you being part of my growing audience of wrong thinkers, because that's exactly what we're trying to do. Engage in wrong think to stay on our toes. This is The Brian Hyde Show. A trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome to the show. I'm here because the battle for your mind is a real thing. And of all the voices out there that are clamoring for your attention and your allegiance, I'm just one of many, but I'm offering you a point of view that uh, I don't know that you'll find in many other places. It's not because I have terrific insights that nobody else has, but there are certain principles that are the foundation of what I do. I believe in the sanctity of personal liberty. And freedom of conscience, I believe in private property rights, I believe in limited government, and I believe that our rights come from God and that with God's help, a free people can do remarkable things. 
And unfortunately, everything that I've just described here is uh, is not what you find in abundance in America today. In fact, in the world, it seems like that light of freedom is getting dimmer and dimmer all the time. Well, someone has to carry that torch forward, and that's you and me. And it may seem like an impossible task, but again, I go back to the idea that with God's help, it's very possible. In fact, with God's, without God's help, it is impossible. I'll concede that. With God's help, though, anything is possible. And uh, I'm grateful that you're part of the audience today. Our program is uh, brought to you by great sponsors like the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George, Utah. Also by MonticelloCollege.org. And also by LifesavingFood.com. Thought we could start out uh, this time around uh, with uh, a little revisiting of the... Uh, Lock you down for your own good COVID narrative. I don't know if you've noticed, but the narrative managers really have their hands full. And so while the the, the public's uh, willingness to suspend disbelief and to, to go along with that narrative has been falling apart for some time, there's a lot of skepticism out there. I mean, Dr. Fauci, I, I don't know. He's he's under some scrutiny right now for even PETA has finally stepped up and said, okay, we understand that he's enforcing left-wing things and we like left-wing things, but, you know, the the idea that Dr. Fauci was part of, you know, um, some animal experience that would have gagged Dr. Mengele, they're pretty upset. And it's very, very clear that uh, Fauci lied to Senator Rand Paul on the issue of funding the Wuhan laboratory and gain-of-function research. Now, whether something happens to him or not, the bottom line is that narrative has kept people, the, the you've got to lock it down, you've got to wear the mask, you've got to do this, you've got to get the shot. It's tough for people to believe. So it's being replaced by a new excuse for having to control every aspect of our lives, this time in order to save the climate. Hey, wait a minute, that's kind of an old crusade, isn't it? It is. But as long as those lockdowns worked so great to get everybody in line, can you blame the people pushing, you know, the, the climate change uh, religion from going after those same mechanisms of control? Got a great interview from uh, Doug Casey. This was with International Man on why the new carbon hysteria is a huge threat to your personal freedom and your financial well-being. And since you're going to be hearing more about this, you know, maybe you just want to consider this intellectual ammunition you can sock away for a rainy day when you find yourself in a discussion about it. So International Man begins by asking about uh, um, climate change, saying Western countries are leading the charge in restructuring their economies around the issue of climate change. They're committed to a comprehensive agenda to decarbonize their economies by 2050. And so they ask Doug Casey, what's your take on this? Doug Casey does not mince words. He says, to sum it up in one word, it's insane. In two words, it's criminally insane. And here he goes into a great history lesson, reminding us that before the Industrial Revolution, the overwhelmingly major fuel source was wood. After that, we went to coal, which was a big improvement in density of energy and economics. Then we went to oil, another huge improvement in energy density and economics. Now, these things happened, not because of any government mandates, but simply because they made both economic and technological sense. Now, if the market had been left alone, 
the world would undoubtedly be running on nuclear. Nuclear is unquestionably the safest, cheapest, and cleanest type of mass power generation. And this isn't the time to go into the numerous reasons that's true, but if nuclear had been left unregulated, we'd already be using small, self-contained, fifth-generation thorium reactors generating power almost too cheap to meter. The world would already be running on truly clean green electricity. Instead, time, capital, and brain power have been massively diverted to so-called ecological power sources, mainly wind and solar, strictly for ideological reasons. The powers that be want to transition the whole world to phony green energy, like it or not. Now, Doug Casey says, look, I'm all for green energy in principle. There's no question that solar and wind are worthwhile and effective for select applications. Generally small, isolated, special locations where conventional fuel is too inconvenient or too costly. The efficiency of solar has been tremendously improved over the last few decades, as has wind efficiency but neither make any sense for mass baseload power in industrial economies. With further technological advances, they may become more economic someday. Perhaps people will eventually put large collectors in high Earth orbit and microwave the power down to the surface. There are all kinds of sci-fi possibilities, but right now, green is just a nice word for stupid, ideological, or government-sponsored. Doing things the green way, he says, takes away from the markets which is where people vote with their dollars. It instead places power in the hands of ideologues and bureaucrats. In brief, wind and solar are being promoted at the very time nuclear and fossil fuels are being damned. It's the opposite view of what should be happening and a very bad trend from every point of view. So Doug Casey says, put me down as liking the birds and bunnies as much as anybody else, but I'm anti-green. Anyway, he says eco-freaks don't care about the birds and bunnies so much. That's just a veneer. They actually just hate people and really want them to disappear. At minimum, they want to control them. And the great global warming anti-fossil fuel hysteria is a great way to do it. Now, International Man follows up then in the interview by saying, well, as part of this agenda, the U.S., the EU, and OECD companies, countries rather, plan to phase out oil, gas, and other fuels, replacing them with zero or low-carbon sources of energy. And they ask, what kind of disruptions could we see as the transition is made to energy sources that may not be as reliable? And Doug Casey answers, lots of disruptions, many of them both huge and currently unanticipated. The U.S. has 330 million people, Why should decisions for hundreds of millions be made by bureaucrats and political hacks in Washington, D.C.? I think that ought to be a bumper sticker. Why should they be the ones who decide what kind of power should or should not be used? That's a question that uh, nobody asks. People simply assume that's the way it is, and they largely do as they're told. They never stop and consider that governments have set back progress immeasurably over history. The main products of government are wars, pogroms, confiscations, taxes, regulations, and the like. Oil companies like Shell and BP are talking about getting out of business. Oil companies and their investors and employees are looked down upon as the destroyers of the world. Nobody in polite society wants to admit they're in the oil business. Before you drill an oil well anywhere in the world, 
it's necessary to ask permission from one or more government entities. In the Western world, where the public has been captured by the notions of PC and ESG, governments are loath to issue drilling permits. Drillers don't want to drill because costs are artificially high. Any profits will be subject to discouraging taxes. So expect oil production to drop in the West. Throughout the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, more oil was discovered than was being used. Reserves went up. But that's no longer the case. It's not because the oil isn't there. It's because it's too politically incorrect to look for it and exploit it. Furthermore, scientists, engineers, and investors are staying away from anything to do with fossil fuels. You can plan on both fuel shortages and higher costs. Markets are being subverted and are more politicized. In addition, the so-called green technologies aren't really green. They just seem green on the surface. Giant windmills and solar farms rely on massive amounts of fossil fuels and metals to be disposed of. Crazy. Sorry, metals to be manufactured and installed. It's the, uh, they have limited lifespans and they're very difficult to dispose of. And not only that, they can't provide mass quantities of power consistently. But they all show losses, even after tax benefits uh, disguise them. That destroys capital. So they're not signs of progress. They're monuments to waste and destruction. We're going to have huge disruptions in the energy markets for years to come. Since the whole world runs on energy, he says, that is really serious. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Just a quick shout out here to the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George, Utah. Definitely the place you should go if you are looking to secure a home loan, a VA loan, a reverse mortgage, maybe just refinance your existing loan. I would encourage you to reach out to the Heather Turner team. There's a couple of ways you can do that. It's very, very simple. I have a link in the show notes at thebrianhideshow.com. It's an email link that will take you directly to Heather. You can also call 435-703-4522. Or if you're in St. George, Utah, Stop by their offices at 619 South Bluff Street. Heather's NMLS ID is 715386, and Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender. So I'm sharing this article from, uh, this is from lewrockwell.com, but it's an interview of Doug Casey by International Man, and why the carbon hysteria is a huge threat to your personal freedom and financial well-being. I don't know if you agree or not, you know, the idea that if if government had just stayed out of the way and hadn't regulated so heavily, we would all be using fourth or fifth generation thorium nuclear reactors to provide very, very inexpensive and clean energy. Now, I'm not clairvoyant. I can't see the future. And, you know, I'm not one who can tell you, yes, categorically, that's exactly what would have happened. But I think he does have a good point. And if you consider the supply chain breakdowns that we're seeing right now, all those ships sitting off the coast waiting to be unloaded, that's not the product of, you know, capitalism. That's not the product of, well, somebody's just, uh, you know, somebody's just not doing the job right. It's a product of regulation. 
And a lot of that regulation has to do, for instance, California's law saying that uh, you cannot truck in our state unless that truck is this new or newer. In other words, it's regulatory power that is responsible for this bottleneck and this this shutdown of the supply chain, which it's really looking is more and more um, deliberate. What did I hear yesterday? Oh, yeah. Uh, President Biden was talking about, well, maybe what we need to do is find these companies with these ships sitting off the coast, find them for every day that they don't have those ships unloaded. And I think to myself, my goodness, man, are you are you nuts? Do you think they like having those ships sitting out there? Some of them been out there for a month or more. They're not making money with those ships just sitting there loaded with goods. I don't know. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of critical thought that goes on. Just it's it's all about power. How can we make sure that the power is is being operated in the way that we want it operated? Let's go back to the interview here. International Man says, broadly speaking, is the new climate change crisis an invitation for more government intervention in the world? And Doug Casey responds, yes, it's like inviting a vampire into your house. He says, for many decades, kids have been indoctrinated with ideas about counterproductive conservation and greenism, comic books, school books, teachers' lectures, television, you name it, present the earth as being under attack from the forces of darkness. Mankind, especially the scientists, engineers, and entrepreneurs, are shown exploiting and raping Mother Nature and her natural resources. They're presented as evil. Now, Brunonsky's ascent of man has been subverted into a battle of good versus evil, where all the values have been turned upside down. And the problem has permeated society, but it's even worse in the education system. St. Ignatius Loyola, who founded the Jesuits, and Vladimir Lenin, who founded the USSR, both said words to the effect, if you can indoctrinate a child during his early years, you've basically set his direction of thinking for life. And they were right. Government is always presented as noble, wise, and forward-thinking. It's presented as the Savior stepping in to stop the evil producers. It's one of a number of false horribly destructive memes stalking the earth today like specters. And the increasing belief in government as a magic solution to problems decreases the average person's standard of living tremendously and creates all kinds of distortions throughout society. It's turned the study of economics into a pseudoscience and its incursions into science are discrediting the idea of science itself. In fact, the two big hysterias plaguing the world right now both center on the state involving itself in science, or at least scientism. One is COVID, a relatively trivial flu blown all out of proportion. The other is AGW, anthropogenic global warming, which was relatively recently rechristened as climate change. Now, Doug Casey says, in my view, both will eventually be completely debunked and discredited. But if you run counter to the narrative on either one of them right now, you'll be canceled, fired, and or ostracized. He says it's very much like what happened to Galileo when he ran counter to the prevailing wisdom of the Middle Ages. They don't actually burn books anymore, but only because the books are mostly electronic. But they do the equivalent of that on places like Google and Twitter. good example of this is um, vaccine injury videos. In other words, people who have taken videos of of those who've suffered vaccine injuries, 
they are being methodically banned from as many platforms as possible. I wonder why. Doug Casey also says there's an excellent chance that people, these people would discredit the very idea of science because they've wrapped themselves in the veil of science, or more precisely what has become known as the science. And he says they're creating something much more serious than just another economic disaster. Now, International Man says this trend seems to be growing in momentum. For example, Google Flights now prominently displays the carbon emissions of each flight it lists. Is that a a small first step toward charging individuals for the carbon they emit? Doug Casey answers, I can assure you that I pay no attention whatsoever to the amount of carbon that I may be burning on a plane or anywhere else. He says, this is part of a psychological war the left is waging, using guilt and shame as weapons. It's another indication of the lockstep the group think and that the people are subjected to today. And then he says, Life on this planet is based on carbon. The element itself is indestructible and essential, but it's been transformed into a deadly enemy in the mind of the public. But if you deny that it's destroying the earth, well, you're committing heresy. It's like denying the existence of God in the Middle Ages. Hating carbon and worshiping the ecology have become tenets of a secular religion. A new carbon tax will be implemented, he says. It's definitely in the cards. Most people will simply roll over and say, yes, this is for the good of the planet. It's a tax we should all pay. And, of course, the governments and the powers that be always want more resources dedicated or directed toward themselves. So in a time when governments are bankrupt and can only generate more money for themselves by printing it, it's an absolute certainty that the next next tax will have a patina of righteousness. A carbon tax on individuals as well as companies Checks all the boxes. Now, International Man then follows up by asking Doug Casey, will carbon credits become a new government-created commodity that corporations and individuals will be forced to purchase? Listen to his answer. He says, without question, it's a clever way to turn a tax into something that looks like an asset, an investment. He says, look, this is all about politics and money, but it's disguised as a religious movement, which is quite clever. There is no doubt that greenism is being promoted as a new religion. Christianity is a dead duck in Europe. It's dying in North America. But people need some type of religion to replace Christianity, to hold on to. So people will be encouraged to treat their taxes as tithes to wash away their sins against Mother Nature, much the way they tithed the church to expunge their sins in the Middle Ages. It's an exact analogy. They'll buy carbon credits as an analog for building cathedrals and monasteries. He says, as an economist, as someone who reads a lot of science, I think it's ridiculous and destructive. The whole anti-carbon and uh, carbon sequestration and greenism thing is a political hysteria promoted by people who like to control other people. And he says, I'm completely opposed to carbon credits or carbon taxes from that point of view. It's a great article. There's a link to it in the show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. Check it out for yourself. We'll be back in just a few moments. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is... Is the Brian Hyde Show. 
All right, we are back. Hey, if you would like to get my show notes emailed to you each time that I publish a new episode, all you have to do is stop by the com. You can subscribe, and it will drop into your inbox pretty much Monday through Friday. That's when you're going to see my show notes. I, I recommend these not because I'm so brilliant. I just, I just want everybody to see them, um, but because I do spend... Just about every spare moment of my time trying to find the best information, insightful articles and op-eds and so forth, commentaries that will shed light on what's happening, that uh, that are not slave to a particular left-wing, right-wing, red state, blue state point of view, and certainly things which will help us make sense of how to counter the narrative that's being pumped at us 24-7. And the expectation here is not that, uh, boy, you know, if you just read my show notes, you know everything you need to know. It's more like it's a stepping stone to get you better informed on those things that that you really care about. The articles that I share with you come from uh, individuals or sources that I have have vetted to the point that I I believe I trust what they they say. Doesn't mean they're exactly right on 100% of things, and I may not agree 100% of the time with them. But if they're trying to put out good information that's not partisan-driven, well, that's what I like. And from there, you can just uh, you can follow the links. They're well-sourced. They're well-written. They're highly principled. You can follow them to become as informed as you would like. Because my ultimate goal is I, I want you to outgrow me. Not that I don't love your company. I appreciate the fact that you're listening right now. But there's no greater compliment than uh, you becoming so well-informed and so self-directed that you don't really need me at that point. You're, you're running swiftly along your own journey. That's how it's supposed to work. Now, let's talk about uh, the truth. I found the meme, and I'm gonna, I'll share it in my show notes here probably next week, but um, no matter how long you stare at your television set, the truth will not appear. And a perfect example of why this is so can be found in how the establishment spent most of this last month hiding mass resistance to the vaccine mandates. Remember that uh, that walkout that took place at Southwest Airlines? Well, it wasn't really a walkout. Why, after all, it was just, you know, uh, weather. Weather, yes, and some equipment problems here and there. And, and uh, by the way, those people at the NASCAR race were actually saying, let's go, Brandon, and not anything else that could be considered rude or otherwise profane. Okay. So the walkouts over the mandate, though, that's the thing I want to look at. Carefully hidden, carefully denied by the mainstream media. Why would that be? For answers, I turn to uh, Brandon Smith, writing for alt-market.us. The establishment is hiding mass resistance to vaccine mandates with the striketober farce. Brandon Smith says it's perhaps a sign of the waning influence of the mainstream media that even though they've been incessantly pumping the concept of striketober for the past month, the majority of of Americans rarely mention it. What we do deal with on a regular basis, though, are the constant labor shortages across multiple sectors of the economy, as well as the growing supply chain disruptions and stagflationary retail price hikes. The media notion of labor regaining its power is a background narrative that they're still struggling to plant in the public subconscious while the majority of people try to adapt to more serious concerns. Now, that said, 
the establishment doesn't really care if the propaganda takes hold, only that they have a useful cover for the very real collapse of the U.S. economy. It's kind of a vicious perversion of the fake-it-till-you-make-it strategy. Striketober, like BLM, Antifa, and numerous other Marxist or cultural Marxist movements, has been created from thin air by a combination of news hype and globalist foundation funding. It's important to first recognize that none of these leftist organizations would ever have been formed had it not been for the ample support of institutions like the Ford Foundation and George Soros' Open Society Foundation. BLM, for example, founded by openly Marxist leaders, and it got its start using millions of dollars in funding from the Ford Foundation and the Open Society Foundation. Many of the workers' unions involved in various elements of Striketober also enjoy direct or indirect funding from globalist foundations. The Food Chain Workers' Alliance, for example, receives funding from the Ford Foundation. And the National Domestic Workers Foundation gets ample money from the Ford Foundation, Open Society Foundation, and the Rockefeller Foundation. Now, Brandon Smith says, as I've said many times in the past, all the evil people are on the side of the political left. All the billionaire elites and corporations they claim to hate are feeding them endless cash. Leftist labor strikes only exist because globalists want them to exist. And he says, of course, leftist strikes are actually a minimal problem. In fact, he says, I suspect they are a deliberately manufactured theater meant to obscure the very real labor strikes among conservatives over the COVID vaccine mandates. He says, let me explain. We're all familiar with sensationalist worker walkouts like the Netflix protest over David Chappelle's special, The Closer which dares to make jokes about trans activists, a highly protected minority of people at the top of the leftist oppression totem pole. Now, most people have also heard about the workers' strike among McDonald's employees over hashtag MeToo claims, even though there's little to no evidence to support the accusations. But what we don't hear much about is that the Netflix walkout was actually only a handful of real employees mixed with a mob of career activists bust in from elsewhere. We also don't hear about the facts that the hashtag MeToo claims made against McDonald's are actually from back in 2018, and they're now conveniently dredged up again as the country faces a labor shortage crisis. These high-profile strikes and walkouts are starting to eclipse media coverage of the true culprits behind the labor crisis, namely the Biden administration and blue state governments enacting global mandates, vaccine controls, and COVID stimulus. Now, the source of worker shortages, supply chain bottlenecks, and a lot of our stagflationary issues can be traced directly back to the government's COVID restrictions and the COVID welfare programs. Get rid of the restrictions, the mandates, and the COVID checks, and over time, the crisis will disappear. It really is that simple. However, the establishment does not want you to see it that way. Marxist and socialist groups are working feverishly to make hay with the COVID protests and employee strikes in an attempt to to attribute to them, to attribute them to rather worker discontent over low wages and mistreatment rather than the COVID mandates. Isn't that interesting? A little hijacking. Hey, there's a parade. Let's go jump in front of it and start marching. Pretend it's for us. But Brandon Smith says this is nonsense. First and foremost, he says, wages have been rising exponentially 
in the past year for what I would call zero-skill workers in the retail and service industries. Now, when a potential employee with no valuable skills can walk into almost any chain restaurant or retail outlet and get $15 or more an hour on top of a signing bonus of hundreds of dollars just for showing up on the first day, there is no unfair disparity for the working class. When the average minimum wage across states is around $9 and most service workers are making nearly double that, there is no legitimate problem for Marxists to complain about. So they have to make things up. Now, to be sure, $15 an hour is not enough to buy a home or start a family on a single income. But people aren't automatically entitled to home ownership. And no intelligent person expects to launch a career in food service or retail. That's why decades ago these jobs were filled by teenagers, not people in their 20s or older. Doubling the minimum wage only accomplished one thing in the long run, much higher prices for everyone. Now, workers might feel like they're being abused, but it's not their paychecks under attack or their managers making sexual advances. These are petty concerns compared to the bigger issue at hand, their civil liberties, their individual civil liberties. Brandon Smith goes on to say, as noted, there are two major factors in worker shortages. The Biden vaccine mandates and state and federal COVID stimulus programs, which pay people more to stay at home than they would <laughs> than they would make on the job. These are the reasons for worker shortages and anyone that claims otherwise, he says, is ignorant or has an agenda. And he says federal COVID checks are not done yet. Contrary to the popular, popular belief, the cash is still flowing through various programs, including child credit programs. Also, most states continue to pump out COVID financial aid on top of unemployment benefits. This is essentially universal basic income. And he says it's not over by a long shot. Businesses can't find enough labor because the government has bribed millions of workers to stay home. And the socialists don't like to address this problem because it conflicts with their striketober fantasy. So they deny that it exists. Now, I've got a link to Brandon's article in the show notes. We'll come back to this article just the other side of our break. Please stay with us. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. And once again, welcome back to the show. One of my great sponsors is LifesavingFood.com. And this is where you can get 25-year shelf life food storage, freeze-dried as well as dehydrated food, that will be there at a time when you need it. Now, there's a great discount for my listeners, and you can get it by uh, ordering through lifesavingfood.com using my name, Hyde, H-Y-D-E, as uh, your coupon code at checkout. 20% discount. You wouldn't even get that good of a discount if you went right to ReadyWise Foods themselves. So take advantage of this. Now, I need you to understand that uh, the supply chain uh, slowdowns and breakdowns are having an impact even on the food storage industry. So while there are stocks available, 
You're going to see that uh, in some cases prices have gone up. This is particularly true for meats and things like this. The, the kind of things you're seeing go up in the grocery store. But there are also some delays in getting these orders filled. So it could be a month before that order is actually shipped. I would encourage you, please don't put it off any longer. Check out their website. Just see what uh, what speaks to you as something that could bring you peace of mind and a stronger sense of personal self-reliance. And I'll thank you in advance for doing business with LifesavingFood.com. So I've been sharing this article here from Brandon Smith from altmarket.us about how the establishment is hiding mass resistance to vaccine mandates with the striketober farce. In other words, we're trying to pretend that uh, these people walking off the jobs and refusing to, you know, these pilots refusing to fly and so forth. This is really about solidarity and the people, the workers of the world uniting, right? This is about, they've, we've all decided to embrace Marxism <laughs> somehow. No, no, we haven't. But it's crazy how, how many different forces are at work right now in, in destabilizing the labor market. And wasn't it interesting? to hear about how states are continuing to pump out COVID financial aid and federal COVID checks are still going on, we've almost got to the point where it's becoming universal basic income. And Brandon Smith says the establishment's well aware that these actions are destabilizing the labor market. And in fact, he says, I believe the goal is to destroy the small business sector specifically. Why? Well, small businesses can't compete with corporations backed by trillions in central bank stimulus. They don't have the resources to double wage rates for zero-skill workers or to offer large signing bonuses. They also don't have the resources to police their own employees and customers to ensure that everyone's complying with vaccine passports and booster shots. He says within a year, the solid small business foundation of the U.S. will be a hollow shell. That's probably the scariest thing I've read this week. Brandon Smith says, with the death of small businesses, all that will remain are international conglomerates that will enforce the mandates and threaten people with poverty and starvation if they refuse the vax. All other legal alternatives will be removed, and that's exactly what the elites want. Without defiant small businesses, there's nowhere left for you to shop or work without the vax passport. Corporate monopolies are the tool governments are using to circumvent constitutional protections for individuals. But he says, as this process plays out, the resistance grows. And as they say, the resistance will not be televised. The entire premise of Striketober and the rise of the oppressed proletariat is a farce. But there's a different kind of revolution brewing. And the latest narrative at least does, at least represents something new in the agenda to derail the, new, the U.S. economy. For the most part, we've been dealing with astroturf protests from cultural Marxists in the form of crazed social justice warriors funded by globalist foundations. The focus is usually on exploiting cultural taboos or non-existent racism or sexism. The striketober development is a much more classic rendition of old-school Marxist sabotage, and it appears that it was slapped together haphazardly by establishment elites in order to diminish the very real conservative worker walkouts. That is to say, from now on, expect that if you walk out of a job or you get fired from a job for noncompliance on the experimental COVID vax, you might be lumped in with a fake leftist movement, and no one will mention the real reasons for your sacrifice. But what's the point of this PSYOP? 
Don't the globalists want to identify and demonize the millions of conservatives refusing the vax? Brandon Smith says, I'm reminded of a story I read when I was a child about a conversation between an ancient Roman general and a Roman senator. The senator tells the general that something needed to be done about separating and delineating the slave class from the free Roman citizens because they all looked alike and were sometimes dressed alike. The senator suggested that the slaves be forced to wear black armbands so they could be easily identified. The general disagreed, pointing out that if the slaves were given the armbands, they would finally see how many of them there were, and realizing the sheer size of their population, the slaves might then be encouraged to revolt against the empire. Now he says, I don't know if this is historically accurate, but I treat it as a parable. In the case of the vaccine mandates and the massive worker strikes among airlines, hospitals, police, and emergency services, the more the establishment tries to squeeze the U.S. population with forced vaccination efforts, the more liberty-minded people slip through their fingers and fight back. If mass walkouts and strikes are attributed to conservatives and patriots standing against the mandates, then all the other slaves might realize they're actually legion. And that would be bad for the globalists and their reset agenda. So they're attempting to co-opt the vaccine walkouts and rewrite history in real time by creating a fake workers' movement through Striketober. And he says, no, it will not end in October. The media will be promoting this idea from now on. That way, the resistance becomes convoluted and confused, and the mainstream media can say the great number of striking workers are actually on the side of the political left battling the capitalist machine not conservatives and patriots on the side of truth and freedom. You see his point? We're not supposed to know our numbers. By instituting a two-tier society through vax mandates, the establishment has made an error. They obviously assumed there would be far less rebellion against the passports. They obviously assumed there would be vast majority of support and the 10% or less of the population refusing to comply would be overwhelmed and surrounded by the COVID cult. They figured we would be compelled by peer pressure and the fear of standing out that we would naturally fall in line. Instead, 30 to 50% of the population, depending on the state or city or industry, is in revolt. And we're starting to see how many of us there really are across the country. So he points out here, there are three things that COVID authoritarians are predominantly afraid of. Liberty groups recognizing their true numbers those same groups organizing at the state and local level around the country and losing the mainstream narrative that they are the good guys and that we are the evil insurrectionists. So Striketober is just another desperate attempt by the power elites to manage optics in the face of unexpected opposition. Their efforts to terrorize people that refuse to become guinea pigs for a barely tested mRNA cocktail is backfiring. And eventually, worker strikes due to forced vaccination will culminate in greater acts of rebellion against the system. And with each escalation of resistance, the establishment will strain their weak think tank brains trying to create new narratives to obscure what's really happening. I don't know about you, but I actually take that as good news. They're having to come up with some way to try to persuade us, hey, don't believe your don't believe your lying eyes, believe us. Well, this is one of the reasons why I'm I'm so adamant that, you know, if if you want to be the kind of person who wields their influence, 
um, effectively wherever they happen to be. You've got to become comfortable with the idea and that sense and that feeling that you're standing alone. Look, I know there's safety in numbers. I know there's that sense of, well, at least I know people agree with me. And there's that relief when you find out you're not the only person. Unfortunately, most of the time when you really have to make a stand, you're going to feel very, very alone. And I'm going to paraphrase, I'm going to paraphrase a favorite quote from uh, former uh, Secretary of Agriculture and former president of the LDS Church, Ezra Taft Benson. He talked about uh, when a person stands for right, he stands for God. Actually, he, he put it this way. When a man stands for freedom, he stands with God. And even if he stands alone, he still stands with God. I know it's a hard sell and it's an uncomfortable place to be, but the people who make a difference are the ones who find the courage to speak up even when their voice shakes, to stand firm even when it appears nobody else in the room is still on the same page with them. They are the ones who bring courage and inspiration to other people to realize they can do the same. Maybe we do need those armbands just to recognize how many of us there really are. Check out the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Thank you for being part of our growing audience of wrong thinkers. This is The Brian Hyde Show.